Hi, and welcome to Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance, and defining happiness and success. My name's Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show, and on this episode, I'm talking to Liz Peters. Liz is a member and director of the Brighton and London-based improvisation company, The Maydays. Uh, You've probably heard of The Maydays if you've followed me and listened to one of the previous episodes with Heather Urquhart. And um, also, I'm a big fan of The Maydays because I do some courses uh, with The Maydays, and I just think the work that they do around helping people to discover improvisation in all of its different forms uh, is really, really exciting. Liz is also embarking on a new strand to her work. So the new strand is all around using the body to help people to have a better impact, to reduce stress, to be better performers, and all of that kind of stuff. So in this episode, we're kind of talking a really interesting point for Liz because she's uh, scheming and setting up this new business and so we talk about some of the the content that that new business will bring with it and of course lots of stuff around how uh, being a comedy improviser is the same as being an improviser in life and in business and as an entrepreneur and everything else uh, so this is a really good episode uh, you join us in my front room here's me with Liz Peters <laughs> So I'm here with Liz Peters in my house. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Cool. It's a uh, lovely house for those of you who haven't been in it. Oh, thank you. We can see the sea. <laughs> we just about see the sea through the mist and everything else that's going on. Uh, and you tell me you're off to Germany tomorrow. I am right? indeed. So tell me where you're going tomorrow. Uh, so tomorrow, I, I've never been to Germany before, Ooh. so I'm quite excited. Um, I'm going to a place just outside Frankfurt, which I think, which I believe is called Rauenthal, but my... Um, pronunciation might be off there, but a place called Rauenthal to meet with uh, improvisers from all across Europe. So there'll be Polish, Slovenian, French, um, all kinds of improvisers. And we're going to have sort of four days together, um, teaching each other, learning from each other and connecting the sort of European community of improvisers together. So it's like the sort of uh, the improvisers South by Southwest or the improvisers conference yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Cool. We'll all look very serious and stroke our beards and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> talk about very serious things. Uh, and then probably be very silly. <laughs> I think so. Uh, I think so. So one of the things and how I came across you was through the May Days. Yes. Um, so you are a member of the May Days. Let's start there. Um, I had Heather Urquhart, your colleague and friend, yeah. on the podcast a little while ago. Uh, but for, the, for those people who haven't heard that episode, um, mm-hmm. maybe just give a podcast land two minute sort of introduction to what the May Days is as a company and what it does. And uh, cool. Just start um, there. So the Maydays is a company based in both Brighton and England. And we, at Brighton and England, look at me, I'm so European. Uh, Brighton and London. Um, Brighton does feel like it's sort of disconnected from England in lots yeah. of ways, politically and well, it's, socially. It's its own little yeah. micro, <laughs> micro... And microclimate climate. too. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so we are an improvisation company. So we perform fully improvised shows, lots of different styles of improvisation. But every, that, what that means is that we don't have a script. We go on stage with absolutely nothing and we create it, create the art in the moment based on 
anything and whatever happens there. So shall I do all the dumb questions? Uh, but you obviously have characters made up already before you go on stage, don't you? No, Graham, we don't. <laughs> uh, but you obviously sort of know what the scenes are going to say and like who's going to be the one who cracks the jokes and stuff, don't you? No, no we don't. don't. We literally that. go on stage with nothing. I mean, uh, obviously, we we work together a lot. I mean, the company's been running for now for 13 years. Yeah. Um, so we know each other really, really well. And, um, and th- that's part of part of the key to making it work we just it's but we just go on stage with each other listen to each other build on what what someone else has offered and then create the magic absolutely and i think you know a big thing for me about what makes it good is that the chemistry that you guys have because you're so good at listening to each other Mm. and you're so used to working with those other people yeah uh, within the group i think is what makes it special and interesting and you know and and makes it feel more magical i Mm. think um, and we, so we see each other once a week in the pub a lot of the moment because I'm doing, I'm doing a, uh, an improv musical course, uh, with Heather, uh, and you're doing another course in this, in sort of like the next room in the same building, basically. Yeah. So we're uh, sort of together after that. And then we have a nice beer afterwards when the so worlds collide. We have a beer. And so, um, uh, so we run these courses as, so we do, we have the, the performance arm of yeah. the company. Uh, so we, we travel around Europe and England doing shows. And we also have the training arm of the company. So that's, uh, doing evening classes for people who want to learn improvisation for all kinds of reasons. So, as a confidence thing or as maybe just something fun to do on a Wednesday night. Um, people come along, do different classes with us and we'd have these courses and then there's little showcases at the end. And it's a really lovely part of the work that we do is bringing it to people and helping other people learn the skills. So we do that with, um, so we have that part. And then we also have the, uh, the uh, corporate training arm where we go in and we work with teams and leaders yeah. and use improvisation that way to um to get better results creativity communication that sort of thing uh what do you do when you've got a group of people in a corporate who are cynical or mm-hmm. are thinking what can this improv comedy teach me about business and of course i know having read a couple of books about this and experienced it yeah. myself is that there's such a lot of connectivity and uh, a lot of crossovers in the sort of venn diagrams between entrepreneurialism and creativity and business and and then improv but what do you do when you've got cynics in the room and how do they, how do you get them to respond in a positive way? Um, I work with humour. I think there's, there's no, no point in slapping someone down because they're, they're new to something, you know. So I will, I will usually highlight their, their difficulty in joining mm. in, but in a, in a sort of warm and friendly and humorous way. So I'll, I'll help to bring them in that way. I won't ignore the fact that they're being difficult or kind of make that be a, a fun thing. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be quite clear with people as well. You know, you'll get more out of it if you join in. You won't get as much out of it if you if you decide to separate yourself because it's a very experiential thing. It's not some improvisation is not something you can read a book about and then go, ah, nailed it, yeah, got it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's working the muscle. It's how do I how do I be present in this moment and how do I. How do I receive and, and what you're offering and build on what you're offering? And the only way you can do that is by practicing it. Yeah. And it's so interesting because the people who, the people who are arms folded and stony faced and I will not laugh and I will not play, these are the people who really, really need that muscle. Mm. Um, 
moved and squidged and you know and do you find sometimes the I find often when I'm doing uh, workshops obviously in a very different space in productivity but often the biggest cynic or the biggest questioner at the beginning has the biggest transformation at the end do you find a similar thing uh yeah it can be the case yeah I did something on a, on a leadership program in January and uh I met up with the <laughs> I met up with all the the uh, the cohorts the night before we all had dinner together and then the, my training was going to be in the daytime uh, the next day and uh, there was a lot of jokes around the table about this one guy who uh, who was really dreading it really wasn't right. up for it at all um, and he, he didn't you know he didn't want to engage on it really uh, and there was a lot of a lot of joking about how much he didn't want to do it and you know when he came in the room he was really really arms folded and I, and I yeah. sort of just chatted to him a little bit I was like I know you know I know you you think this is a really bad idea <laughs> yeah. um, and and by the end of it the feedback that he was getting was like I, I, I wasn't up for this but I can see the value of it and mm. I really and I really had a good time and I think it was really useful so cool. you know it, it's it's not people who are resistant to it it's because it's out of a comfort zone you know like you're asking someone to potentially make a fool of themselves, which yeah. is something that we have trained ourselves out of since ever, you know, be in school. It's like toe the line, be mm. right, get this right, you know. And the lizard brain thing of, you know, don't try and stand out. Like the yeah. whole thing is to just blend in and be part of the crowd. And then improv is the opposite of that. So, I have an idea. You know, it's kind of, it's a very yeah. brave thing often and- to be the, the one who's kind of, bringing those new ideas to the table and trying to build on what other people are doing. Yeah. And it's really exposing uh, for people, for people whose job it is to, is to, you know, sit with their uh, computer and make very important decisions and things like, and that you're, and then you're asking me to sort of move around a room with people I don't know very well and mm-hmm. say whatever pops into my head with no filter and, and getting that play out of people again, because the play, the, the playing is buried in, adulthood it's like mm. pushed down yeah like, but we don't we can't innovate if we don't play you know we, we it's such a big part of us as human beings and yet the working world is crushing it down and down mm. and down and down we want to let it out yeah so right now you're 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 playing within the maydays in yes. terms of doing uh, the performances you're yep. doing training and corporate stuff uh and then so uh what do you do outside of that in your own life around play and yeah how how do you kind of see the mix of stuff in your life as having play and i'm just i guess i guess what's behind that question is do you find that when play is your work is it harder to play or easier to play outside of that uh i think i feel like i might play all the time (laughs) (laughs) it's an interesting thing that um um work-life balance thing because because yes play is my work and i really really love i really love it i love doing it and i love facilitating that in other people as well Mm. and allowing people to be joyful and playful and and discover you know how creative they are um uh i don't know if i ever really properly switch off from doing that I mess about all around the house all the time you know? <laughs> if I'm making some food I might pretend I'm doing a cookery show or something you know? <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah 
we, I don't have any children and I don't I think that might be because I've never really grown up <laughs> so I've enough of a child um as it is so uh in my actual because I do the stuff with the mailers I also do a few other different bits and pieces improvisationally <laughs> improvisationally um and I so a lot of my time is spent improvising I like the thing of just, uh, yeah, making your cooking into a cookery show and just kind of, it's almost like, uh, so when you were young, did you really love being in, you know, the bit where you go into like the dressing up corner or whatever? Yeah. And you, or you, or the like little corner that has like the little sort of mini kitchen or whatever. Was that like a big thing for you when you were a kid? Like were you sort of big into sort of make believe and I think I used, I definitely used to make my, um, my gran sit and watch me do little performances in the house. (laughs) Because my gran lived with us when we were growing up, um, and you know she didn't have a job, so she was always in. Yeah. And, um, so a guaranteed audience. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and she couldn't move very fast either, so she'd be in her chair. It's like, gran, watch this, and then just do a little show for her. But I think I got I got sent to drama club when I was young, 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 because I was quite shy and I was quite um, mm. um, I wasn't hugely popular. And I think that I was like, you know, a bit sort of nervy. Uh, so I was got sent to drama club um, by my mum to sort of help me come out of my shell a bit. I think she obviously knew that I was creatively um, uh, aligned, if that's a word. But, um, uh, and then once I did that, I went to, I went to a drama uh, thing religiously Mondays for until I was an adult from yeah. like age. 11 or something um right until I was an adult and it was I just wanted to be an actress I was like this is this is my home basically Mm. getting to getting to pretend and be get to be everything yeah and so performance has always been a thing for you as well so you did some time working on cruise ships you did some time acting Mm -hmm. and and various other things so is it would you say performance is an important thing to your identity and just tell me more about that. Yeah, I would say very much so. I think I'll always be a performer. Uh, it's in my bones. And mm. um, uh, I, so I trained, so I was doing the drama club until I was 18. Then I went off to drama school to properly study it. So I went to a place called Mountview Academy, which is in London um, and did the three year, three year full on, full on drama training. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then went out into the acting world. So um, uh, I did quite a few tours, theatre tours, and uh, various bits and pieces, uh, a couple of telly bits, nothing major on telly, just a few bits and pieces here. Um, um, and lived a, an actor's life for a while, which is, you know, up, up and down and yeah. here and there and everywhere. Um, and as part of that, uh, I went and worked abroad, did stuff in, in, in resorts and worked on cruise liners, as you say. Um, and yeah, so and performing is a huge part of who I am, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. When I try and think about like, what are the strengths? Like, you know, I, I know how to put on a show. <laughs> definitely know how to put on a show. Um, where does it? Where's the line get blurred though? So do you do you think of yourself as someone who puts on a show off stage? So this is a very interesting question because over the last um, over the last sort of five or six years, I've been doing a lot of sort of uh, work on understanding uh, myself as human and how and how I operate in the world and 
um, and how I can how I can be a better version of myself and things. And that is something that's definitely come up in my own personal awareness of things is like when do you stop performing because mm. every arm of my work is in front of people you know so I'm either on the stage and I'm doing a show for the audience or I am facilitating a workshop which is you know you which is basically on stage is, yeah right? you're on stage yeah. you know um so uh it's an interesting question is where is where is the line between performing and not performing and I think it's it's blurry because mm. I've I'm used to I've been doing this for as long as I can remember and it's a really highly tuned muscle to be like okay here we go now we start you know yeah. um and p- putting myself in the right s- state to deliver what the people in front of me need yeah and then yeah I don't know when you stop and for people listening to this who are not performers, but who perhaps are on stage in their work at some time in, in or another, whether that's you know presenting to the board mm. in a, a meeting or standing up and talking at an event or something like that, uh, tell me about managing nerves and stress and how you deal with that. So do you still get nervous? Yeah, yeah. And how do, how do you deal with it? Because that must be you know, that must be a bit of a bummer for someone who's like (laughs) performing all the time. And that's a big part of what you do. Yeah, I get, I get incredibly nervous. Um, uh, and I don't know if that will ever change. Uh, but I think the, I wanted to say quickly, but before I talk about that, I wanted to say about performing, I want to be clear as not being inauthentic. You know. Yeah, I, yeah. Like I was gonna uh, come on and talk about authenticity as well. Mm. Yeah, let's talk about that now. Come well, on. just it popped into my head because I just thought, you know, it sounds like oh, I'm showbiz yeah. and I'm and I'm, I'm fake, but that's not the case. It's like um, uh, it's an authentic uh, version of yourself, but you're kind of heightened. So it's a heightened version of authenticity rather than uh, faking something or yeah. being somebody different. Yeah. So it's coming from ge- genuinely from insight and truth rather than um, putting on a mask and pretending to be something mm. which is not which is not healthy I don't think. If that's what you're doing all the time is pretending to be someone else then that's yeah. you know. Yeah. And that's the best the... comedy is about truth right and the big, big biggest connections with audiences mm. are about truth I think. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of nerves, yeah, I get nervous uh, a lot. Uh, I get nervous before I go on stage. I get nervous before I teach. I get nervous before mm. I have big jobs. You know, it's like it, that's something that I've always had. And I deal with it. I, I, I'm very, very um, connected with my body. And I do a lot of work with embodiment, which is working with the body Um um, and how you move changes the way that you feel. So to deal with nerves, uh, for me, it's like, well, what do the nerves feel like? You know, they feel like sort of churning guts, like a raised chest, um, like shallow breathing. And so mm. I find ways to change the physiological sensations of nerves. So like calm the breathing down, um, get uh, make sure my weight is really firmly on the floor because if I'm nervous I tend to sort of like get higher up so yeah. maybe a bit more manic in the hands. So let's get really practical for people here then so so calm the breathing down mm. uh, is that just about taking deep breaths like what what works for you around just that slowing of breathing? Uh, so, so being mindful of the breath for a start 
uh, and uh, taking some really sort of longer breaths than you need to. I think a, a really helpful one is something we call 7-11 breathing, which is where you breathe in for a count of seven and you breathe out for a count of 11. Mm. And by because the out breath is longer than the in breath, that just calms yeah. everything down. That's so you, a trick that uh, they do in yoga, I've just realized. Is it, yeah? Yeah, like so my yoga teacher does that similar kind of breathing where you do a quite quick intake and then quite a long, and you really feel great after. Oh, you yeah, do, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they, yeah, they nix that from you. Yeah, so I think that's that's one thing is like nerves nerves make you tense up. They make yeah. you uh, a little bit panicked. Uh, I'm sort of making the physical position of nerves. I don't know if it's changing mm. my voice, but they 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 you contract physically, and you're probably getting a little bit more sort of het up. Yeah. Um, so how so we slow the breathing down. We make the out breath longer. That has the effect of sort of grounding you a little bit um and then another thing as well i do with nerves is uh to make sure that my body is expansive Mm. so um when we're anxious you know we try to protect ourselves by making ourselves physically smaller you know you kind of wrap your arms around yourself or uh cross your legs or close up and make everything smaller but that has the effect of uh um, sort of a lo- these low power poses have the effect of making you feel smaller and less yeah. capable. Yeah. Um, so I will uh, make sure that I'm physically stretched before doing a show. And um, my are you my, a fan of the Amy Cuddy power pose? I uh, think, stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. Really interesting experiment that they did for those of you who are. Not, don't know what that is. So Amy Cuddy is a social psychologist. She works at Harvard Business School. Um, and they did an experiment, her and some, someone, Dana. Some scientist. Some, another scientist. <laughs> Note to self, if you yeah. want the glory for your experiment, do the TED Talk, because no one can remember. <laughs> yeah, we'll put the TED Talk in the show notes as well. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so they did an experiment where... Uh, uh, they got people to do power posing. So that's expansive positions. So um, arms outstretched, so you're getting a wide chest or um, hands on hips, Wonder Woman, anything that's physically making you bigger to take up more space. Mm. And they got a bunch of people to do those positions for two minutes. Then they got a bunch of people to do the low power poses. So that's... Um, uh, so your shoulders cave in, your your chest collapses. The the sort of positions where you might be hunched up over your mobile phone yeah. or arms folded. These more narrow positions. Um, I suppose it's the body's about power in that way, isn't it? So like when you do the power poses that are very expansive, mm. you're very big, mm. and then these more hunched up things, you're physically smaller. And so there's a connection there between like your perception of how much space you're allowed to take up. Yeah. And, and how powerful you are in that moment versus like being small and being disempowered or weak yeah. in some way. Because yeah. it changes it changes not only how you see your how other people see you, but how you see yourself. Mm. So in this experiment that, that they did, they got people to do these two different poses twen- um, for two minutes each. Uh, and the people who did the uh, high power poses, the more expansive ones, um, they had a 20%, I think it's 20% increase in testosterone. 
uh, after okay. these two minutes. People with the low power poses had a 10% decrease testosterone. And testosterone mm-hmm. is your confidence, your creativity, your kind of like boom, yeah. your, your, your powerful hormone. And it's often thought of as a male hormone, but it's huge in men, men and women, right? Yeah, yeah. I think men have it more. Yeah. Test. But it's not something that's exclusive to <laughs> no. To everyone men. has yeah. it. Everyone has it, and it's that it's that hormone that, that you know makes you take action, makes you mm. makes you feel capable. Um, and then the other hormone, the the cortisol, which is the stress hormone, which is the one that uh, um, you know is the is the fight or flight thing. So uh, if you um, if you're in, in danger and you have your and you release your cortisol, your fight or flight hormone. Uh, that's to enable you to basically survive the moment, so mm. run away from lion, tiger, yeah. um, as fast as you can. So all so of that it's a kind of high adrenaline, yeah. kind of kind of thing, yeah. And that yeah. actually shuts down, um, you know, expansive thinking and and that kind of activity because all it's concerned with is how can I stay alive in this moment? Mm. How can I make sure all my resources are into running as fast as I can or um, being as absolutely still as possible? So. That, um, so they had changes in, in this particular experiment. They had changes in the cortisol as well. I think there's like okay. sim- similar right. amounts. People doing the low power poses mm. had more of this stress hormone, the cortisol. People in the high power poses had less of it. Yeah, and I remember coming to a class that you did around uh, improv and embodiment at Osho mm. Lila, uh, and we did a version of that power pose thing mm. at the very end of the class. And I just remember everyone walking out from that sort of little porter cabin room there, but back out into the garden, just going, yeah, just yeah. feeling so, just this kind of rush of confidence yeah. and rush of uh, just feeling, you know, really good about themselves. So it obviously works. Oh, like it, yeah. It's obviously it definitely a really works. useful thing. The other thing I uh, do quite a lot when I do keynotes, I, I don't know where I picked this tip up from, but the one that was told to me is that if you just smile like really big and mm. inanely for the sort of five or ten minutes before you go on it has a similar effect around probably around those same kind of chemical reactions mm. and stuff and there's definitely some other things around you know in mindfulness and in yoga you often hear uh, the teacher will say you know think about your tongue and your jaw and your teeth and you know, the mouth I think is somewhere that holds a lot of that stress yeah. Uh, but just smiling really big. And I remember doing a keynote where I was the keynote and then there was also some of the other managers doing, you know, sort of PowerPoint presentations of reporting back on where they're up to. And this one particular guy in the morning, he was like, oh, I've got to do this thing this afternoon. I'm really nervous. Do you get nervous? And I was like, well, I do, but I do this thing where, where I smile. Uh, and it's good when you're the keynote because you're often on the front row so no one can really see you just smiling yeah. inanely like you just get away with it uh, and I said to him just go to the toilet like five minutes before you go on and just smile like yes. in the cubicle like really big and he came up to me at the end of the day and he said oh it really works like it's yeah. the first time thank you thank you thank you and it was just this little tip that I've been using for years but it's lovely to see mm. you know that just rub off on somebody else and it just have that effect it works so much yeah. it, I, I use this kind of thing all the time I'll often, like, if I'm having a, a, a bad day or something, and like, I know I need to go do something, I'll smile all the way there. You, mm. you can trick yourself yeah. into changing yeah. your state. And I think that's, that, that's such a simple and beautiful and wonderful thing. It's like, you know, we don't... We... Our state is... Um, the state that we're in is up to us. Mm. 
Because most, because a lot of us are so not in tune with uh, bodies, you know, we're quite disembodied. We spend our time on computers and we spend thinking. And we, when we, if some, our body is just sort of a taxi to move your brain yeah. from one place to the other. But when you become really tuned in with it and you, uh, and you become more aware of sensation, you then have an active choice about like whether you want to feel a certain way. Mm. So the whole smiling thing is pretty straightforward you know i can i i it's not that i i feel happy and therefore i smile if i smile and then i feel happy yeah. it is a continuous yeah. um loop between body and mind and it's quite remarkable in you know business and self-help and in that whole world so you'll get you, there'll be a focus on the body through things like yoga and meditation mm. and which is principally concerned with how do we de-stress how do we how do we do things that are a break from the stuff that makes us productive and you've got like tony robbins remember probably listening to a tony tony robbins like audio like cd thing like years ago where he was talking about managing your state yeah. and changing your state and he's really big on some of that slightly extreme like you like you get up in the morning and go oh, i am so great yeah. i am so great and then like you know you'd say that 10 times and you start to you know you'd start to sort of rec- recognize the physical uh, components of that and everything else but it's quite like you say i mean it's often brain first in the way that people think about this stuff and you know think about uh, you know my book productivity ninja most of that is about how you think and mm. and there's a few bits in there around you know, the sort of lizard brain stress response thing. And there's a few bits around how you can use physical stuff to uh, to get over procrastination. But I think in general, we tend to focus much more on how we think and on brain rather than focus on body. And yeah. this the idea of being disembodied, I think, is just something that goes through through work and through, you know, people don't really, people get cringy about how they view their bodies, yeah. particularly at work where there's, you know, you want to put across a certain image and... You know, beyond maybe sort of posturing and uh, body language consultants for uh, people doing speeches, it's kind of people don't really talk about it, right? Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a it, neglected area. People feel maybe some shame because what, when you think of the body, oh, it's, oh, it's a sex thing, hmm. or it's you know, it's, or it's a medical thing. You know, yeah. there's a lot of like ooh ickiness about the body. Yeah. But you know, we the body is the only. Um, the only way in which we experience the world. There is no other way. You experience every second of your life through through the filter of your body, and as mm. do I. Can't ever take my brain out and be like, oh, just take a break from my own body. Yeah. And, and most of your stress is produced by your body, not your brain, yeah, right? So it's exactly. it's in the gut and it's in the heart. And yeah. And it's kind of, you know, it, it's a bigger factor in stress than just the mind. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because we, you know, we are, we respond viscerally and then we and then we interpret that mentally um, it, in terms of evolution the we're animals you know and and are we, we? No, we're <laughs> <laughs> um, you know the technological um, revolution that like the world that we live in at the moment mm. in terms of our evolution is is a blink of an eye you know and our our evolution has not caught up with the speed at which we have uh, innovated and we've, you know, made things uh, you know, computer-based. We're still, like, physical beings. And I think something like 95 to 99% of our, um, our behaviour is 
un- unconscious. We only we only mm. we only have volition over like between one and six percent of the things that wow. we do, and everything else is happening automatically because of instinct, because of learned patterns, uh, and we're in constant response to that. Uh, so unless you're aware of the of the triggers that your body is giving you then you're constantly in reaction to that rather than if you can become aware of how of of the information that you're receiving via the body in terms of like instinct and um and that sort of thing if you can become aware of it then you can um choose whether or not your response is something that you want or you can Mm. choose to respond a different way but if you don't even know what you're responding to you're just being reactive because you feel like anxious yeah. or you feel angry, but you haven't really become aware of where that's coming from, then you're going to be in response to that, be reactive to that. Yeah. Um, if I said to you on a similar note, then the body and productivity mm. and how can the body help you with productivity? What comes into your head? Like, what do you think the... I, I hate I, I hate to say what are your top five tips because uh, <laughs> I always get that when I'm doing podcasts and radio stuff whatever give me your top five thing and it's like okay A I can't count to five in my head <laughs> uh, and B I don't have five prepared which I probably should do um, so you can choose one tip or eight tips or three or whatever but like yeah when I just just if I say the body and productivity what comes to your mind as something that can really help people um, I would say um, that um, re- remembering that you've got a body yeah. <laughs> is a good start. So just awareness. Because, yeah. you know, um, a lot of my work, even though I'm on the stage, a lot of my work is done at a computer. Mm. You know, it's promotion and marketing and that's computer-based stuff. And it's very easy to get locked into uh, a position where you're sat at a desk and you're facing a screen and you haven't really moved for ages. If you haven't really moved um, physically... Then your then your thoughts also get um, constricted as well. So um, I know you talk about in your book. Are there tw- is it twenty five minutes and five minutes break? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the Pomodoro uh, technique. That, that Pomodoro. Pomodoro. Pomodoro technique. Yeah. Uh, so something I'll often do, like if I um, if I'm getting like stuck on work, is I'll go into the other room and I'll like just shake about, have a, have a little bit mm. of a movement. Sometimes put some music on, have a little bit of a dance dance break yeah because once you get when you move when you move the body you move the thoughts as well i love the idea that there's loads of people who work in open plan offices listen to this who are going to be having dance breaks tomorrow yeah. like that's going to be fun put your tunes on and go have a dance <laughs> i'm lucky that i work from home so yeah. it's not quite the... in fact if anyone listening to this is in an open plan office and you do a dance break please tweet to me or tweet liz i'd love to know i'd love to see that <laughs> but certainly um uh, certainly not staying in the same position for yeah. epic amounts of time because you're... you're because it does restrict your thinking as well. Like, like you say, it sort of makes you rigid, makes you stuck. Yeah, yeah. and makes you start to think in like the, in, in the tiny um, parameters of the visual that you have and your, fo- your sharp focus is your eye line. It's like, okay, how can I free up? How can I be more creative? How can I think more expansively? Okay, I'll make myself change physically yeah or so if you can't dance in your office like (laughs) take five minutes to go outside get some air in your lungs um get get the body moving again just like shake shake it all about a bit yeah um and another and then on the flip side of this like because this is something that i need to do a lot 
is uh, how to focus Mm. because I, you know, I, I like to have my dance breaks and run around, but sometimes, you know, you've got to get your work That's done. for a reason, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> um, so uh, making sure that, uh, you know, if you do have to concentrate and get something done, that you, that you create your environment to be good enough like that, so you're, you're, you don't have stuff distracting you, like mess and things, keep things tidy, sit tidily. Um, what do you mean sit tidily? Sit tidily, so... Um, Okay, at the moment I'm sitting on uh, Graham's sofa. I've got my uh, shoes off. I've got my legs cro- legs folded in a sort of child's position off the floor. Um, but if I need to really get down to business, then I'll sit at a desk and I'll put my feet firmly on the floor and I'll and I'll sit in a more focused way. Mm. And that means that I know, my body is knows I'm being focused as well as my mind knows I'm being yeah. focused. And it's that muscle memory thing, isn't it? So the mm. body starts to react to, okay, we've been here before and this usually means I'm yeah. focused and so on. Yeah, focus. that's an interesting one because I think often you can sit at a desk and be sort of slouched forward mm. and, you know, your back's a bit wonky and all over the place yeah. and, you know, one leg sort of swinging around or tapping or whatever and just it doesn't have that same you know, uh, sort of robustness of just sitting like upright and properly and yeah. everything else, right? So yeah, just like getting into that better posture around how, yeah. how you sit. How do, how do I want to yeah. be be like that? And then you will, you know, be like what, what an, mm. an organised person is like. And, you know, if you need to be doing something that's a bit more, um, you, you know, you need to take some action or you're feeling a bit dithery and you need to make some decisions and stuff. It's like uh, getting your... Get, getting yourself into positions where you know you uh things like uh, i'm now i'm now hitting the palm of my hand with with the uh blade of my other hand so like this sort of um precise action movement yeah. uh, so firm fingers and driving forward makes me feel more like okay right now let's get this get this mm. moving let's get this let's make some decisions bang okay if I want to be more, if I need to be more receptive to other people's feelings, I might sit back in my chair a little bit more and have a little bit more of a fluid physicality about me, so that I can take other people's yeah. opinions and, and possibility in, and then and then I drive forward. And yeah. so you put yourself into, you animate the state that you want to create. Oh, that's a poem, isn't it? Animate the state you want to create. I like that. Um, it's. Something that I've noticed a lot as well is the ability for how people sit in groups to Mm. influence how a meeting's going to be or whatever, you know. So just if you think about how you, like if you're organising or chairing a meeting, having it around a big boardroom table makes people behave like they're in a boardroom. Mm. You know, having, if you imagine taking that table away and putting those chairs in a circle, much more confessional, much more intimate, quite exposing, you know sitting on smaller groups to to try and sort of get a little kind of buzz in the room before the person starts talking and stuff like that. So just even like how you set the room up, I guess, influences how everyone's going to sit in their chair and how they're going to receive the other body language from other people and stuff. Like that's a a huge part of it too. It's massive. And um, and I think, I can't remember who did this experiment, but um, there was a study... done on negotiation and the kind of chair that you sit in okay. so if you if you're sitting in um a, a a hard solid chair 
um, yours be more hard in the, your negotiation than if you're sat in a squashier, mm. softer chair yeah. because you your feeling and your embodiment is more ooh, softer and squishier. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts, your communication is also that way. If you're sitting in a hard-backed, hard, solid chair, I'm more hardline about my opinions and I'm mm. less likely to be moved by what you tell me. Yeah, and like, and just as we were going to start this interview, uh, I said, oh, do you want to do it at the table? And we'll move the table out. Or do you want to sit on the sofa? And, and you're like, oh, yeah. What did you say? Relaxed furniture makes for relaxed conversation yeah, or something, something like, like that. that. So, yeah, yeah, it really does have an influence, doesn't it? It really does. And yeah. uh, what's another thing? Um, another one is uh, uh, drinks. So if you're, uh, if you're holding a hot drink mm. in your hands, you're more likely to feel warmness towards the person you're dealing oh, with wow, okay. than if you're holding a cold drink you're more right. likely to like slightly contract and resist yeah. this person a bit more. So, so if, if, you, if you're a manager and you've got a really difficult uh, meeting to have with one of your employees, give them a coffee. Give them a coffee and then, you know, yeah. and, and then and then you have like a, a ice cold water or something. Yeah, so you can be like, <laughs> you sit on like a hard chair yeah. with like icy water yeah. and get them to have a nice warm drink and a soft chair. And they'll be like, oh, you're so lovely. And they'll be like, I'm cold as ice. <laughs> but I think I find that sort of stuff... Um, I think I think that's fascinating. They're just tiny, tiny, tiny things, and we're so, they're unconscious. They feed us unconsciously. We don't know. We don't. I don't sit here and go. I'm an. I'm on a soft chair. I like Graham more. Yeah. I don't. That's not a choice I make. But that is that is me in response to all the sensations that are around me. Yeah. And you are part of that, and therefore my um, inclusion of you in that. It, it, it changes the way that we can be together. But that's coming back to that thing I was saying about how often management self-help type books and that whole genre, I mean, you'll hear so much more focus on in negotiation or in conversation or coaching, whatever, Much so much more focus on the ideas and the structures mm. and like how you deliver a point or whatever. And you won't hear so much about how do you, how do you sit in the chair? How do you set the room up? How do you, how do you create that environment? Because... You know, like you say, it's a very small part of how we're giving and receiving information from each other is is the words themselves. Like yeah. it's much more about what's what's going on outside of that. Yeah, much more. Much so this more. is something that you're thinking about a lot at the moment. Mm. So you uh, did some work with Mark Walsh, who we both yes. know, who runs Integration, integration Training. training. Uh, and so essentially his thing is kind of helping people to then go out into the world and like teach this stuff and mm. uh, to get... Uh, lots of businesses more aware of it and passionate about it and everything else. So where are you at with putting that out into the world? And because because that's kind of like your new thing, right? So you're still yeah uh, an active part of the Maydays. And uh, are you creative director? Is that your is that your artistic director? Artistic, artistic yes. director. There you go. Uh, of the Maydays, uh, but this is going to be your new sort of additional project that you do. Yeah, outside of the Maydays, it's, it's something that I'm bringing into my work to infuse the work that I do and mm. and, and and make it uh, richer and deeper. Um, so I've d- I've done a few workshops and things like helping people to recognise their habitual patterns and knowing when their patterns are working for them and and that sort of thing. So, and I'm bringing it into the improv training that I do as well. So I'm kind of melding it into my own, yeah. my own yeah. stuff. Um, uh, what's the question? Where am I at? With yeah, that? just yeah. so this is like a, almost like a new venture for you. So just interested to sort of mm. get more of the, the mechanics of uh, where you're at on that journey. Um, 
it's it's interesting because it's uh, finding ways to get it into places. It's quite it's, it feels like it's quite a nebulous and difficult thing to explain. Therefore, mm. it's quite a difficult thing to sell sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I'm in the process of of finding finding ways to to make to explain it better and make it make more sense because it is so experiential. It's very difficult to to articulate something to someone who hasn't had the experience of which we talk. You know. Um, but I'm bringing it into, I bring it a lot into my improv training and I'm, I'm teaching some of it in Finland in a couple of months time. And I've sort of brought it into, into some of the more businessy things that I've done as well with improv. So yeah, find, finding a, a way of getting in there, yeah, into the world a bit more. Yeah. And we were talking the other week, so it is a difficult thing. Like the word embodiment, it, it has a lot of kind of baggage to it. Mm. Whenever you say body, people get kind of, uh, you know, slightly het up or nervous. And like, like you said before, this kind of idea of is this about sex? Is this about yeah. some inauthentic body language thing or whatever? There's, there's lots of kind of hang ups around that. Um, so it kind of feels like this, it's a big challenge, right, to get people to uh, start thinking about that. Is that something that do you feel like that's sort of holding you back from, uh, you know, from putting this stuff out there? Uh, I think, that, yeah, they're meeting the resistance of people kind of going, oh, that sounds weird. And yeah. like, I don't want to do it. But, you know, kind of, I've met that resistance with improv as well. And, sure. that, and that's yeah. finding its way. Yeah. And, and I think people, you know, five, ten years ago, perhaps mindfulness, I mean, you'd say, uh, do you meditate? And people go, oh my God, who's this weird hippie? That's so like, bright. Yeah. 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 Um, but that, you know, that's, that's moving forward. And, and, um, and I think people are becoming more aware of it as well, becoming, becoming more aware of the value of soft skills, which can only come from through the body. Mm. Uh, I think there was a, there was a bit of research. It was a, a Carnegie te- um, technology school or business school or something like that. It was 85% of your financial success comes from your personality and only 15% from your technical knowledge. Oh, wow. And that's okay. massive. Like, that's massive, isn't it? So people are sort of becoming aware of, like, it's the people that you're dealing with. Yeah. It's not, it's not the facts and figures in people's brains. It's yeah. How much do I like you? How much do so I like So it's personality around uh, how warm you are and, like, how appealing you are to people rather than, like, your personality and how you think about, say, money or success or... Whatever. Well, I guess it all comes in comes into one. Yeah. Um, so I think it's like how do you how do you lead and how you negotiate? Mm. But that's that's your personality style, isn't it? How yeah, you yeah. do those things and how people then receive you. Yeah. Because um, you could be you know you could be the biggest uh, technical whiz in the world and have all the information, but if you can't if you can't uh, engage people to pass that on, then mm. it's pointless. Yeah. Um, let's talk about ambition. Yeah. So your ambition for this and just how you think of ambition in general, like what's your relationship with ambition? I'm very ambitious. <laughs> uh, I tend to think really big and yeah. um, that's, a, that's a habit of mine is to like have great big dreams and then, uh, and then the actual process of the, taking the action points if I find yeah. more difficult. Yeah, so connecting that down to the actions that you need to take is like the hard bit. Mm, yeah, it's uh, like, well, everything is possible. Yeah, uh, where does your ambition come from and uh, what 
And do you think of ambition as a performance? Do I think of ambition as a performance? Yeah, coming back to this, where's the line of performance? Um, I don't know. I think I think I'm, I've always been really ambitious, and I've always wanted to do to be the best. I think that's been a driving force. Mm, really? Yeah. I've always wanted so you're quite to... competitive, like. Well, yeah. yeah. Considering I do an art form that is a hundred percent collaboration, completely cooperative. Yeah. 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 There is a competitive side yeah. of, of me, which is, um, I did an embodied yoga principles workshop with Mark Walsh yeah. from Integration Training the other day. And um, we did a, a section on competition. How do you deal with competition? Right. And uh, we had to do some um, squats against a, a partner, <laughs> uh, physical squats. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm not going to lose. I am 100% Oh, so it's like a this. sort of, you're trying to squat for longer or trying to push them over? Or, uh, no, or? squat for longer. Do more squats. Okay, right. And so I was like, oh, I'm not going to lose. No way am I going to lose. <laughs> so really? Uh, yeah, and there's something about like, going up against someone else that makes me kind of like... Yeah, okay. And I... Because yeah. I find it quite cringy, if I'm honest. Like, what, competition? Yeah, like in general. Um, like, I remember playing Tempin Bowling a while ago and I won and I was just really embarrassed. Because <laughs> it just feels like a socially awkward thing. Oh, yay, like I'm the best. Or like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I find it quite... Um, I find it quite cringy. But I, so think you, so about, you, I think there's, I mean, like I said, I want to be the best. It doesn't mean yeah. I am the best. Right. But I, want, I would like to be the best. Yeah. And how does that manifest itself, like, with the other Maydays? So do you have other people in the Maydays who also want to be the best? Or is everybody else more... Everyone wants to be the best. Really? I think yeah. so. I mean, this is, this is an interesting thing with improvisation and performance in general and everything that I do. Like, I want, you know, I'm... I'm really quite happy with how my life is. I get mm. to do what I want for a living, um, uh, and I'm and I'm really happy with that. I, you know, I'd like to make a bit more money, and, but I kind of happy to keep going in the direction I'm going. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of that um, phrase. I'm probably going to paraphrase this and, and get it wrong, but it got shared a lot on Twitter recently, given the Trump build a wall stuff, uh, which is that you know when you become successful. It's better to build a bigger table for the feast than to build a fence. Yeah, and just this nice. thing of like, I don't, I don't see my success as being at the like. It doesn't it at all interest me if that success is at the expense of somebody else. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And so, I find yeah, like I find some of the stuff where certain business guru type people will all be about the winning and the like you know you're gonna be number one and you're gonna crush this whole thing like, i just find it a little bit alienating yeah that you know i mean, mean that's kind of i don't really i don't feel like that i don't yeah. feel like i want to crush everyone else <laughs> right. um uh, i want uh, i i want to just i want to be the best that i can be yeah uh, and i don't i don't have no interest in destroying anyone else along the way either. Yeah. But I want to know that I fulfill my potential. So it's about you getting to, yeah, I see that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I would probably warm to that notion much more than competition, I think. Yeah. Like competing with yourself and trying to become the best that you can be and fulfilling your potential. Yeah. And within yeah. the May days, you know, like, um, I, and I don't, it's, it's, being the best is a nonsense thing in improv. You can't, you, yeah, no, one, yeah. no one is the best. This is collaborative. And um, So truth on the table right now, do you ever, in the middle of a Mayday show, think who got the biggest laugh there? Was it me or was it someone else? Uh, is that question mine? No, I don't think so. 
I don't think so. I've never because I very it really is all about like how do we how do we make this thing how do we yeah. be the best yeah. not how do I be better than everyone else in the team because that is suicide that's horrible and um, yeah grim um, and the worst improv scenes particularly when you're learning and you're a bit crap at it like me uh, you're not crap at it when oh god like totally. But when you have five people on stage and they're all trying to be the funny one, yeah, or they're all trying to be the person who has the answer that solves the thing, or mm. is the ah, this is the next. Everyone's trying to be, everyone's trying to jostle for position of where this story goes, or like putting their idea first. Or mm. uh, those always are the worst yeah, it's ways of doing it. And I think there's, I mean, there's so many parallels with business and improv, but the whole thing of, you know, good teams are like that. Yeah. where actually the most uh, important people in the team are often the people who are playing those more supporting roles who make somebody else look good mm. or whose actions don't get the credit they deserve and that yeah. kind of thing. Huge. Well, that's something that we say um, a lot when we're teaching um, and we embody as well. Is uh, uh, You look good by making your partner look good. Mm. Um, and I never, I, I don't really think about myself in a show uh, from the moment the show starts, I don't, it's a wonderful feeling. I don't think about anything that's not on the stage. Yeah. Totally yeah. don't. It totally leaves me, which is a blessed relief sometimes. Uh, and then you're just 100% there with the people on the stage. And it's like, how do we make this work? Yeah. If, it, if you're ever in a point where like, how can I get some laughs right now? How can I do this thing? Then you're going down a horrible horrible path and it's sure. not gonna it's not gonna be good for the team it's not gonna be good for the audience so i want us i want we the maydays to be like to do really really well i don't want to mm. rise above that and be better than them right but i yeah. want i want for us to be the good um but come back to the the ambition thing then so you're saying like you have these dream big ideas mm. and then it's the taking the steps well one thing I, one, so. one ambitious idea i had the like I had it about a year ago and I was like, I don't know how I can make this, make this work. But um, it was about the power posing. Um, about, uh, one thing I really want to do is get, get this out into the world a bit more. That just this understanding that you can change the way you feel by having an awareness of what you're physically doing and m- making a choice to do something a different way. Mm. The simplicity of yeah. that. I want people to know that because people don't know it um and um i think the the power posing stuff this huge expansive feeling good postures i think is a really nice easy hook for people and it makes people feel good so yeah. that's a that's a lovely lovely win in this direction for everyone and i want i had this idea last year uh, that what i wanted to do was to create the um to create an international <laughs> A global moment where uh, uh, you get everyone, people hooked up to their computers, like, and they do like two minutes. Yeah. And everyone is power posing at their computers. A bit but, like that day where they do the um, switch off all the lights thing, and everyone turn you know like for sort of awareness of, of global change. warming yeah. and things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but so like everyone at one time would be doing this. Everyone thing. at one time yeah. then d- does this, d- really like just takes these sort of two minutes or whatever to mm. to breathe and to and to and to fill themselves with sort of positivity, doing the doing expansive postures, and then 
so that's inter an international network happening. And then afterwards, have people like uh, kind of comment and, and um, share what good happened after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, yeah. how was that something? How did you feel after it? What good things did you do? You know, because it changes, it just changes your outlook. Therefore, it changes how you're perceived. And the cycle continues. It's, so I'm sold. So why hasn't it happened yet? So I don't know. <laughs> how? Okay. So he, well, you're the man that make. You're the man that um, uh, is good at making things happen systematically. How do I get? <laughs> how do I get international? Like full global, everyone on board on the same moment to do it. I, I suppose you need to create a huge network of uh, of people who are willing to do it. I'd need. Yeah, I guess you need you need to have a huge following in order to galvanise enough people to to do it. So yeah, so you probably have to build a bit of an audience first yeah. to have people. Is it? And then one thing that springs to my mind is Kickstarter, putting mm. a thing on Kickstarter saying, "Hey, like I'm thinking of doing this." Thing. And then you've got all the people who also think that's a good idea would start to give you the funds to maybe help you to. Would I need money? And... I mean, I guess I'm, I'm I must need money. You need money for everything, don't you? Well, I just think you'd probably want to try and market it and get mm. people aware of it. And so that's you either do that through a long slog of organic or you or maybe try and shortcut that a bit more by, yeah, chucking some money at it. Mm. And, you know. But that's so talking about ambition. Like mm. th that's one idea of many that I've been like, wow, yeah. that would be cool. Like, it's, you know, just get everyone feeling like superheroes. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's just one idea of, of a million ideas that I've that I've had in yeah. my life, and then like you know making those ideas happen. So, do you feel like you're productive? No. No. Okay. I wish I really, really, <laughs> really wish I was. So let's get confessional then. Yeah. So what? Uh, why are you not productive, or at what times are you not productive? Um, and what's your relationship with that? Uh, I, um, I get I great a big picture thinking. I the whole capture and collect part of your chord process. Mm, yeah. My goodness, like <laughs> I have exploded myself <laughs> into so many books. Uh, the, the then the actual organize organizing of those ideas into systematic. Um, okay, what can I do now? Yeah, and you're doing what you described before oh, of yeah. hitting your hand against your palm there, which is quite interesting. Interesting. I didn't even yeah. know I was doing it. I wish, by the way, I think in general, I wish we had uh, done this as a video podcast instead of a, an audio one, just because you do talk a lot with your hands and physicality and stuff. And it's like, that's quite oh. interesting given the topic. We've yeah. Discussed. But yeah, so you've been hitting your hand on <laughs> So it is that kind <laughs> so of... So getting that down into the sort of, you know... What the this, words you this, used before, yeah. like, come on, good, done, yeah. sorted. Yeah. Taking, taking things that my hands are up in the air now and they're yeah. sort of like high up. Taking, um, taking possibility and um, potential and uh, all, of, all of this, there's so much there. But taking that and then making that into specific actionable tasks, yeah. um, I, think, uh, I think is something that uh, does not come naturally to me. Mm. Uh, so that's, I think that's a key for the, the productivity thing. I and think, nor to me, by the way, that's how I got into all this stuff. Oh, really? It was exactly the same of being more of a big picture thinking, yeah. oh, I'm stuck. Where do I start? And just, you know, this whole idea of the next physical action and where, you know, what are the first steps that you need to take along that road? Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's good. It's a good model. If you haven't read Graham's book, you should definitely read it. <laughs> I need to read it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that I think that stands in the way, and I think um, I think also. Uh, uh, perfectionism is a is a mm. huge barrier which is interesting because i i work heavily in an art form where uh it can never be perfect yeah it is um everything is in constant flux and, and moving and, and changing and you know you you can't have the, the correct product in improv it that just doesn't happen but there is a huge side to me that is a is a perfectionist so then when i when i'm considering the work that i'm putting out on my on my own that i have yeah. some control over yeah it's like, oh, well, I want to make this good. And where you don't have the pressure of it has to be made now, like mm. you do on a stage when yeah. it's improv. And it's like, we have to create this in the next half an hour. Otherwise, the audience are going to be pretty annoyed. You know, yeah. so you have to create something. Whereas for that, you've got all the time in the world to come yeah. up with the branding or the name or the whatever, which again is a very different sort of energy in a different style and more pressure on you perhaps mm. in that way to be more perfect. Yeah. Yeah, because I because I am ambitious. I want to do the very very best that I can do, and I have these like, grand ideas. I don't want to mess them up, you know. Mm. <laughs> I want to do want to yeah. do justice. Um, um, and I think working alone as well. Uh, th- there's the challenge of having no one else that you're accountable to. I think uh, because because so much of what I do is other people are relying on me to be there, support them on stage and in in classes. And it matters to me that the person that I'm working with feels feels good and, and yeah. does well. Yeah. Um, when I'm working on my own stuff and there is no one else apart from me going to benefit, well, there is no one else apart from me going to care if it gets out there, you know, <laughs> uh, then that's that's much harder because then you're battling with um, you're battling with your own perfectionism. And yeah. no one going like, we need that now. Can we have it now? It's like, oh, it's me. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of how you break through that and yeah. start to, uh, you know, and start to get this out there into the world, do you have thoughts yourself about how to sort of hack that yourself, or are you are you stuck with that? Where do you see that? Uh, I don't think I'm stuck with it. I think I think um, you know you, you need to just do do the work basically um, and I'm aware of that and so I'm getting getting better at just being like this is your job you know do the work mm. there's a book that um, I think you recommended and someone else recommended it and I was like well two people I know and respect have recommended this book now and it's uh, so I read it The War on Art oh The War of Art the War yeah of Art. Stephen yeah. Pressfield yeah. Yeah. yeah and his thing is just do the work and it's like okay yeah so how so you know my personality type is a certain way you know, I now, after 37 years of life, know that that personality type is is why my life has gone a certain way. Maybe yeah. I haven't, haven't done some things. So it's like, okay, right. I recognise that about myself and I'm not going to change it, but I'm also going to actively embody and choose to be the work yeah. way. Yeah, otherwise, yeah. I'll, otherwise, I won't get those kind of things done. Yeah, and I think do the work... As, as I understand that and how it's transferable. So obviously Steve Pressfield is a, is a writer. Mm. And so he talks about it in a way of, okay, so you can, you can get, you can procrastinate, you can get distracted with all these different things. And also a lot of work is procrastination. So if you're a writer, all the time mm. you spend doing emails or theorizing or going over the same 
ideas again to see if they're still worth doing. And all those kind of moments are all basically moments that are taking you away from doing the work, mm. which is the writing. It's not everything you do between nine and five is work. So I think it can it can come across as the most obvious advice you know do the work well yeah obviously I'm at work I'm going to do the work but I think it's actually much more profound than that and and very transferable so obviously that's him as a writer but I do think there's um you know there are moments in everybody's working day whatever you do where you're genuinely doing things that push something forward whether that's a conversation with a colleague whether that's you know coming up with a new idea and there's also loads of time where you're just bogged down in shitty emails yeah. <laughs> like you know and just worrying about where you start or you know calling a meeting because you want more time to figure this out and procrastinate over it further and all those kind of things which do take you away from doing that often meetings are the opposite of the work rather than mm. the work you know and so I do think that's a really important thing and I suppose for you uh and when we've talked about this before you know the work is actually just getting out and doing 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 some workshops or working with people one-to-one and kind of using that as a way to learn more about how people best respond to this stuff and how do you get over Mm. some of those icky feelings that and of course because every every individual is different you know I can only I can only ever experience um my understanding of embodiment through my own filter of Mm. my my physical form yeah um and so every single person is going to be different and you're going to learn different stuff from working with every different person. Yeah, well. for sure. And also just learning how they, yeah, like how they respond to certain bits of marketing or, mm. you know, the sort of explaining it in the first place and that kind of sales and marketing process, I guess. Mm. It's kind of quite important to how to how you would set something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I want to, I want to get, I want to be a mouthpiece for it. Yeah. Um, um, and is it just interesting to notice, like, what, what, so what's holding you, what holds you back and what mm. pushes you forward? Yeah. And you were just moving back and forward. <laughs> so you should have done this on video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think um, uh, sort of figuring out the, the work-life balance as well with it all, uh, because, because I am, I love improvisation. Mm. I love it with all my heart. I think it's fantastic. Um, and helps us to be better human beings as well as have a bloody lovely fun time um, and the the embodiment side of things I find endlessly fascinating I think it's I think it's a really enriching thing and I continue to learn more and more about it and read as much as I can and, and understand that more because I care about these things so much mm it's really hard not to think about them all the time. <laughs> so, so um, you know, I'll be, um, uh, you know, you'll, you'll do your sort of working day in inverted commas, whatever that is these days. Um, but I'll still be thinking about it, you know, and, and I'll come back to something and, and, and write more. Like, uh, the end of the day, like I come home from teaching at 10, 10 o'clock at night mm. and then I don't, often I don't go to bed till three o'clock in the morning because yeah. I'm like, whoa, then this, dude, oh, this is a great idea. And your brain's just wired mm. from having been in that like performance kind of space, even yeah. though, you know, your performance is helping other people to perform. Yeah. Mm. So I, uh, uh, so I don't, uh, I think it, what might be helpful in terms of being more productive is, is maybe stopping thinking about it sometimes because I do think, mm. I feel like I think about this sort of stuff. Yeah most of most of my life <laughs> yeah and I would say journaling that or capturing and collecting just everything from the rich ideas to the diatribe of other stuff that your brain's going mm. through in, in those moments might help to 
to switch those things off you know get these things out of your head yeah. is the first step to being able to actually yeah you know switch off properly and and de-stress and everything else mm. and then and then to organize the stuff then yeah organize. for sure but then you come back to that you know i think often people make the mistake with the humble to-do list that it becomes it's the place where you're writing things down as well as as you're writing it down you're trying to make sense of it and organize it and you're also trying to look at it you know, take that step back and review in that mm. sense. So you're trying to do almost like three things, you know, capture and collect and organize and review mm. with just a single to-do list, which is why most to-do lists don't work, you know. Whereas I think just concentrating just on capturing and collecting, just the only thing I'm doing right now is getting this out of my head mm. so that it's out of my head. And then you can come back to it the next day and go through that again and, and do the organizing and ask the, ask the questions and work out what that stuff means. Mm. Like I kind of see those as two different things. They, it's useful. I need. I I have so many notebooks, so <laughs> many notebooks, and it's like. And then I I will go back like and be like, oh, I wrote that thing. Oh, that was yeah. a good idea. Oh, that's brilliant. It's like why why is I need to sort the process out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And so you know you can have as many notebooks as you like as long as there's only one that actually contains your real master actions list. Right. Yeah. So if you've got your list across five different places, then you don't have a list. Yeah. Whereas if it's all if that's all in one place, you can have twenty notebooks if you want. You know, have a Monday notebook and a Thursday notebook. <laughs> explosion, brain yeah. explosions. Is more they more come out like like poof, pew, meow, It's all possible. Like, oh, okay, well, you know, yeah. it's possible if you action them. Absolutely, it's not possible if you just leave them languishing in a notebook with a million other brilliant ideas. Absolutely, uh, yeah, and that, and that, and then that becomes the. Um, you know, the criminal neglect thing, right? Of like, all oh, they're beautiful ideas and they're just like languishing somewhere and not, yeah. being, not being followed forward. Yeah. Which I guess is where my, that's where my interest always lies, right? Is helping people to, uh, you know, to really realise those things and make stuff happen. Mm. Um, so just before we finish, I want to talk to you about uh, success. Mm. Uh, because I do this podcast with a whole bunch of different people, you know, everyone from people starting businesses through to, you know, Dragon's Den millionaires and uh, Olympic gold medalists and everyone else. Um, I'm just always interested in and just quite obsessed with how different people define success for mm. themselves. And it kind of feels to me like there's not one playbook for it. So as somebody whose job is an improviser, mm-hmm. um, what do you, like, how do you define success? What's the, uh, do you have a, do you have a kind of set, set of criteria in your head for if I'm doing this, week in, week out, or year in, year out, that's a good year or a week. And likewise, what's the sort of life plan or sort of life goal around how you see success and what, what are the measures of success there? Um, I think success is happiness. I think if you're, if you're happy, then, then you're living a, a good life. Yeah. You know, if, you're, if you're waking up in the morning and being like, I hate this, not feeling pretty successful. Um, so I think that's a key thing. For me, um, I have... Uh, since uh, since 21 I've never had a boss well I have intermittently for very short periods had a boss but I'm my own boss mm. um, and I'm in charge of myself and I hope that that will go on forever because for me success is a freedom thing yeah I think it's really why in terms of work what's the point of work the point of work is to uh give me enough money to live the life i want if you break down the bare bones of it i guess that's it if you if you can also find work that you are happy doing and 
and contributes some value to the world, yeah. then bang, there's success. Totally, it? yeah. Is it yeah. a success for me? Is I am doing the thing I like to do that I'm good at doing that has value and is of service to the world and, and makes me happy, and I'm paid well for it, mm. and I have therefore the freedom to do whatever I want. I guess it's if we were to be like, oh, what's your nuts and bolts? When will you decide you're successful? Because some days I feel like I'm successful right now because I don't have to go. Yeah, that's always a good question, job. isn't it? Like, is success something that you're striving to get to, or is it a mindset of where you are now? Where do you? How do you feel about that? I um, I, it's, I think it's a mindset of where you are now because I do feel like cool, like you know, at a eight ten years ago I was probably not feeling as successful mm. um, as I am now because at the moment you know I have the Maydays which is a great company I, I love the people I work with I love what I do um, uh, and that's a really really privileged position to be in uh, I would like to make more money I think that's that's a key thing is uh, yeah I'm privileged to be doing what I do uh, but it's still you're still on a on a tightrope in terms of mm. um of making it financially work all the time and i think and is that more money just to lower the tightrope slowly to the ground or is you know i think uh, more money so i can um have a garden like yours right <laughs> <laughs> um no more um more money i want to i want to be able to um travel the world as much as i possibly yeah. can see as much as possible and i don't want money to be a, a Problem. Which is again is about freedom. freedom like freedom's yeah. the theme here for you. Yeah, I, yeah. I yeah, freedom, freedom to be free to do, freedom to be free. It sounds like the primal scream. Uh, <laughs> you want to be free to do, to what, do what I want to do. do. Have a good time. Want to get loaded? Yeah, for me it's freedom. So I guess if I was to be like on on paper, when will I decide that I'm successful? Yes, I already think I am. And I think it's a sliding scale. You'll never really hit. You'll never really mm. hit a thing and go yeah. like, boom, made yeah. it. But I think I would. Um, I'd like to have uh, at least four holidays a year. Um, I'd like to have a garden, and uh, and I'd like to not to not be concerned about money. I'd like to just be like, oh, I'm doing this job here. Yeah. Doing this job yeah. there. Then I'm off to Costa Rica for a week. <laughs> And and it, and it not to be a thing to think about, you know, when the bill comes in the restaurant, not to think, oh, okay. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can I can manage it, but I have but I'm still having to have the process of like, oh, mm. I know it's fine, but I think when financially, when you get to a point where you, when you get to a point where you don't know what's in your bank account. I think that maybe that's success. Yeah, I don't know. that's a good one. I don't know. I I know what's so in my to bank have account. enough money that you don't know what's in your bank account. Yeah. Yeah. And and so then you have the freedom. And you, also, you probably you you probably imagine that the signs are good when you do look in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Freedom to work as little as you want and be, exist because we're not we're not here for very long, are we? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so, you know, I suddenly like, I look back, I'm like, oh my God, 10 years have passed since I was, so 10 years have passed since I was working on cruise ships, for example. Mm. Um, and it's like, whoa, like my life has changed a lot in those 10 years and, I've, and I have achieved a lot, but it goes in the blink of an eye, doesn't totally it? It does, yeah. And one thing I, one thing I don't want to do is get to my deathbed and go, 
oh man, I wish I'd done this. Mm. I wish I'd experienced this, or I wish I'd traveled to this place, or I wish I'd, you know, I wish I'd done more. I want to, I want to make sure that I have enough money and time and freedom to to live the life I want to live and contribute to the world. Yeah, and uh, what's lovely about you uh, using the deathbed analogy uh, is that often the phrase that is that comes up when you think of what am I going to think on my deathbed mm. is that famous quote which says nobody on the deathbed thinks I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Mm. Uh, and that's not what you said. You know, what you said is, oh, yeah, I wish I would have gone on more holidays or been traveling to this place and, and whatever. So presumably that means you don't view work in that traditional way. So we talked about your work being play before. Yeah. So if there was no, if money was no object, yeah. and money just existed, if we had a universal basic income and, you know, there was no obligation to work for anybody else. Yeah. Um, do you think you would do pretty much what you do now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You said that without even missing a beat there. Yeah, I love I love improvising. I love it so much because you are you are so alive and you're so creative and um you're so playful and anything is possible in that in that world. And I I really love it. I love facilitating that possibility within other people and allowing them to feel that as well. Mm. Um and and the work with the body as well, that that's all intertwined in it how do we how do we experience the our life in the in the best possible way that we can yeah it's like well here's some really really great tools so i definitely definitely still do this sort of thing if money was no object and i'd probably also i don't know put on a show <laughs> worse than sequins and they were like oh some singing on the show <laughs> um, that last answer is probably made uh, about 82% of the, this podcast audience jealous oh uh, <laughs> sorry guys <laughs> uh, and also probably inspired at the same time I'm hoping and uh, just if people do then feel curious and they want to find out more either about how you uh, get to a place where on your deathbed you're saying, I wish I'd done exactly the same work that I'm doing now. Um, or likewise, if people are interested in finding out more from you about maybe how they bring you into their company to talk about embodiment and uh, impact and purpose and all the stuff that you do, uh, where do people find you? Like, Give us the, uh, give us the website and the, all the details. They can go to my website, which is www.lizpeters.com. Uh, and that's my own personal website. Um, if you're interested in Maydays related things, um, uh, that's www.themaydays.co.uk. Cool. Yeah. And from there, people will be able to find out about courses, right? And like, yeah, from the from the Maydays website, there'll be information about the courses, and there's plenty of links on my website as well to the Maydays because yeah. we are intertwined beasts. <laughs> <laughs> I do not live independently of them. Are you on the Twitter and all that sort of stuff? I, do you know I am on the Twitter? Um, but I'm also well aware that I don't really use it. Oh, right, okay. So I'm wondering whether so I should not... don't contact Liz on Twitter. Yeah, come, <laughs> come to the website, because you might think I'm ignoring you if you tweet me, and then I feel really bad about that. So, um, But they can find you through the website to contact you. Yes, there's yeah. a contact page on my website, cool. so you can um, send me messages, and hopefully not hate mail, but if you really <laughs> want to, you can send me hate mail. Um, cool. Um, so thank you, Liz. It's thank been you. lovely having you around here, and... Um, 
um, lovely conversation. Uh, what are you doing for the rest of the day? Uh, for the rest of the day, uh, it's a glorious sunny day actually. Um, so I don't have to be anywhere. Tomorrow, quite early, I'm off to Germany to meet with some uh, improvisers from around Europe. Um, so I will probably pack this so afternoon. So you're packing and packing. Uh, trying to find your European plug sockets and all that. Yes, stuff. I know where they are. <laughs> I know which drawer they're in. They're always there. Cool. Um, so yeah, I'll be packing this afternoon and um, yeah, probably tidying and getting ready for a nice weekend of uh, make ups Cool. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> So thanks again to Liz for being on the show and thanks thanks to you for tuning in and being part of this. It's uh, it's always really lovely to get tweets and messages and emails and stuff uh, with people just saying, hey, I listened to that show and there was this really cool bit in it. And I, you know, it's always bits that I've forgotten as well. So it's always nice to be uh, reminded of all these things. So thank you for being here. Thank you for downloading and subscribing and all those things that you do. Uh, we'll be back in uh, two weeks with another episode. Uh, thanks also to Mark Stedman from Bloomsbury Digital, who's the producer for the show. And if you want to find out more about me and what I do, uh, then you can find out uh, more at graymalcott.com and also at thinkproductive.com. Uh, and I'm at graymalcott on Twitter if you want to come and say hi. So until next time in two weeks' time, uh, thanks for tuning in to Beyond Busy. Bye for now. Bye for now.